0: great to see you here this morning. I'll tell you, watch that video and you're like, man, 180 million people without the Bible. That is crazy. Um, You can learn more about Pioneer Bible Translators on our website. You can link to their website. It's an amazing ministry and I hope you become familiar with them and maybe the Lord might move you into working with them, but I'll tell you, they're doing a great, great work. Hey, well, welcome today. Glad to see all of you here today. Um, I'm gonna embarrass my in-laws. My father and mother-in-law are sitting right there next to my wife, and, and they are here from Houston joining us today. So uh, yeah, give them a round of applause. So if you ever meet my wife, Kirsten, and go, why are you the way that you are? Um, there you go, there, there's the, there, there they are. Anyway, I'm glad they could be here today, and that was my gold embarrassment for sure. Let's pray, go home. All right, um, Hey, uh, I tell you, I wanna commend you uh, this week because, um, you know, last week, we had winter weather come through. And I don't know what it is about whenever there's a little bit of snow or ice or even the threat of snow or ice, why does it always have to be right when church starts? You know, have you ever wondered about that? You And I remember when I used to pastor up in Kansas City and we used to have some pretty nasty winters up there. There was this one winter. For five weekends in a row, it snowed on Saturday night and Sunday morning and it messed with our church service. I was like, Lord, please, can this just come through on a Sunday night? Uh, Just why at church time? This was before we had online services. So it was like, you just, we didn't have church or we just missed out. So five, can you imagine five weeks in a row, but that was a tough one. But uh, I want to commend you because I was told uh, last week that uh, even though about half of our church family wasn't with us because of the weather, we had a huge increase in our online participation during our two live stream services, which tells us this, that even though many of you couldn't be here you went ahead and joined us online and didn't miss anything. And I just want to commend you for that step of commitment and that faithfulness to be at church and be a part of what's going on. I'm so glad we have the online service. I'm thankful for those that are watching right now and uh, are participating with us online. Um, I, just, uh, I just want to commend you for that. I was also told last week that we broke a record here at the church. I always try to let you know about memorable things and things that we can, you know, commend. And I don't know if this is actually one of those records that anybody wanted but I was told that I am now the, I hold the record for the longest sermon ever preached at New Life <laughs> after last week. I didn't know. I didn't know I was aiming to break that record. But my, my, my thought of that was, um, and I'll admit, last week was a, li- a little long. I think our children's ministry volunteers were keeping time and they, they brought that to our attention. But uh, my first thought was, you know what they say about records is all records were meant to be. Broken, so on that note uh, genesis twenty one is where we 're going to be today, so please open your bibles genesis chapter twenty one and let me share this with you while you 're finding the twenty first chapter of Genesis. Is that from the moment we meet Abraham at the end of chapter 11 going into chapter 12 and all the way up to now. From the very moment we first meet him, we learn that, that God is going to make a great nation out of Abraham. I mean, from the, just the opening verses of his story. And we also know that all nations of the earth are going to be blessed through him. The whole world is going to be blessed. And so we have been tracking Abraham's story and what God is doing there now for eight, full chapters. And in those eight chapters, we have, we have seen his success and some of his failures. We've seen his, his uh, good times, his bad times. We've seen his, his wins and his losses. We have, we have studied about the, holy cow, what incredible faith this man has moments. And we've also studied about the, what was he thinking moments You know, Abraham was a real guy, real, uh, you know, uh, just like you and me, that God used to do some pretty special things, but he wasn't perfect, none of us are perfect, and we've seen that all on full display in these eight chapters. These eight chapters that we've studied so far about Abraham represent 75 years of biblical history, from about Abraham's 75th birthday all the way to his 100th birthday, but I can tell you what we need to focus on more than anything is the fact that he is remembered for what? His great faith, great faith. Hey, that, that's what he's gonna be remembered for throughout all time is this man was, had incredible faith. And with that faith, there was this promise that God is gonna give him a son. Now, after all of these years and after all these chapters we've been studying, we reach chapter 21 and guess what finally happens? Isaac is born, All of this leading up to this moment, Sarah and Abraham have this long-awaited child. And let me tell you, I don't know if you had a crazy year in the year leading up to your your delivery of one of your children, but Abraham and Sarah had one of the craziest years on record leading up to the birth of Isaac. You might remember that year started off before Isaac was born with God and two angels making a visit to Abraham, and then they go on that very night to Sodom and they destroy that city in the morning. It was only by the grace of God that Abraham's nephew Lot and his two daughters made it out alive. That same year, Abraham decided to relocate his entire family to a new region. This is not uncommon for Abraham. He lived a very nomadic lifestyle. They lived in, in not permanent structures. They moved around a lot. And so as you read the rest of the story, what's happened with him, they moved to a new region and guess what happens when they get there? The same old mistake that they had made before, they make again. Do you know what mistake I'm referring to? They move to this area and Abraham goes, hey Sarah, you know what we do when we move, don't you? You're my sister, not my wife. Now you would think back in chapter 12 when they pulled this little stunt in Egypt, they would have learned their lesson. But no, here we are all these years later, they go to a new region, Sarah, you're my wife, or you're my sister, not my wife, and, and what happens again, just like before? A king says, I want Sarah to be my wife. He thinks she's single. And um, and so thankfully, God intervenes and he protects Sarah and Abraham even though it was a massive folly on their part. And he, he works it out with the king because the king, there was trouble that came to this king because this was God's plan and God's anointed and and he got in the middle of that and, and, and God helped them straighten out. We, we learn there that, Abraham makes a peace treaty really with this king and really sets the stage for Abraham to live in that region for years to come. That was the crazy year leading up to Isaac's birth and we get to chapter 21 and Isaac is born. You got your Bibles? Look at verse one of chapter 21. Here's how it goes down. Now, the Lord was gracious to Sarah, as he had said, and the Lord did for Sarah what he had promised. Sarah became pregnant and bore a son to Abraham in his old age, at the very time God promised him. You might remember, remember a year before, I'll come back at this time, and you're gonna be a mom, okay? so It happened just exactly what they said. Abraham gave the name Isaac to the son Sarah bore him, which is exactly what God told him to do, when... Isaac was eight days old. Abraham circumcised him as God commanded. Abraham was 100 years old when his son Isaac was born. Sarah said, God has brought me laughter and everyone who hears about this will laugh with me. And she added, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. A little, little note that I think would be important for you to know. The name Isaac means laughter. That's what his name means, laughter. When it's an appropriate name, because you might remember when Abraham found out that he was gonna be a dad, what, he, he laughed, didn't he? With joy. A year before this, when the, when the Lord was like, hey, this time next year, your wife's gonna have a baby, and she laughed, remember, in disbelief. And now she's saying, the Lord has brought me Laughter. It's an it's an appropriate name, and 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 Isaac no doubt brought joy and laughter to Abraham and Sarah's life. Now, now just take the birth of Isaac just for a moment. Just take a step back, and and we ask the question: What should we take from this? What should we learn from this? And honestly, I'll tell you that the birth of Isaac tells us this: God keeps His promises. That's what, if you, one overarching principle here is God actually does keep his promises. He'll keep them in his own way and he will keep them in his own time, but he most definitely keeps his promise. You know what else the birth of Isaac reminds us of? It reminds us that God is rewarding their patience. 25 years is a long time to wait on something. Turn to your neighbor and say, 25 years is a long time to wait on something. Listen, it's a long time to wait On something. But you know, you think about it, every single one of us in this room is waiting for God's promise to be fulfilled in our lives, too. There's the ultimate promise that God said, you know, hey, run the race, fight the good fight, keep it to the end. You know, I'm paraphrasing here. But in the end, there is a reward for you. All of us are waiting for that promise to be fulfilled and we're waiting patiently to be with the Lord forever. And if you are a follower of Jesus, then you also know that there are many wonderful blessings along the way as we wait patiently for the Lord to come through in the end. God is rewarding their patience. I take away from this that God, you know, will also reward our patience and our steadfastness in him as well. This is also another example of God's incredible power. This God's incredible power. Many have asked this question, maybe you've wondered about it too, is why did God make Abraham and Sarah wait 25 years to have this baby? Wouldn't it make more sense that, you know, 25 years earlier, you're gonna, I'm gonna start a nation, let's get going with this thing. Why did he wait? Well, the Bible answers the question for us. The words are, God was waiting for, Bible's words, for Sarah's body to be as good as dead. In other words, God waited 25 years because he didn't want anybody to ever say that Abraham and Sarah did this on their own. No, no, no. It's a miracle. God waited long enough so that nobody could say it was anybody other than God who did this for them. And this is all part of his plan. This is all about God's power. Now, if you were to Google today, who hold, this question, who holds the record as the world's oldest mother? Sarah the, the wife of Abraham's name will not pop up. And does that surprise any of us? What, why would we expect a Google search engine to, to give us a biblical answer to one of life's most simple questions? Who's the oldest mom? Sarah. What you will read is a woman who is 74 years old from the country of India. Her name is Aramati Mangayama. And I don't know if I'm saying that right. I'm just doing my best job with it. Aramati 74 years old, gave birth to twins in January of 2019. And here's their story. They had struggled, her husband is somewhere between age 78 and 82, nobody knows for sure, but they have been married for over 55 years and they'd struggled to conceive in all that time and their reasoning for going the route of IVF and donor eggs is because of this. They were tired of being stigmatized in their village for having no children, and I find that interesting. Isn't that kind of how Sarah felt too? You know, like, like we got tired of people looking at us it. like, "What's wrong with you? Why don't you have any kids?" And there was too, much. so they went to all this effort, and she had twins at seventy-four. Now, whether or not Emirati and her husband should have done that, well, that's that's a different discussion for a different environment, and you can have fun with that one at lunch today. But I can tell you this, getting pregnant through IVF and donor eggs at age 74 is not the demonstration of God's God's power as Sarah's was getting pregnant naturally at age 90 and giving birth to Isaac. And I'm telling you, when we look at this and you really examine what actually happened here. Sarah giving birth naturally at age 90, it is nothing short of a miracle. It is absolutely a demonstration of God's power. And we should also take a big, big step back and look at the big, big picture of Isaac's birth. What does it mean? It means that God is accomplishing his purpose. If you think about it like this, this little baby Isaac who Sarah just gave birth to basically is holding the redemption of the world on his shoulders, I mean, All right here, this, this baby, it's all part of God's plan. If, we're gonna move forward in this story soon, but, but Isaac is gonna have a son one day named Jacob. Jacob is going to be the father of the 12 tribes of Israel, and it is Israel that brings us the promised Messiah, Jesus Christ. This is all God's plan, and when you read about this birth, that's exactly how we should see it. So Isaac's laughter, a lot of joy in the home, but I can tell you, not all was well at home. Isaac was a joy. Home life's getting a little bit complicated. Do you remember a few chapters back, Abraham and Sarah got kind of tired of waiting on God. And so what did they do? Sarah said, here's my maidservant Hagar. Have children with her. And what happened? Ishmael was born. Hagar and Ishmael are still part of the family. They're still all these years. They're, they're still here. And and there's this moment we read about next in the story where, where uh, Isaac weans off of his mother's nursing. And typically back in this time, a mother would nurse for about three years and then their children would be weaned off of them. And Abraham says, Isaac is winged. Let's have a big celebration. They threw a party, just like the one you threw when you winged your children. Uh, didn't you throw a big party, invite all your friends? We're on, we're on formula now. That didn't happen? Okay, well, Abraham thought it was a good reason to party. And um, Ishmael, who's probably now 15, 16, he's a teenager. He starts to poke fun at Isaac. This little little kid starts to make fun of him. Makes fun of Sarah. Just starts being in a nuisance. I mean, more than like a teenager, and really aggravating. And this got so much under Sarah's skin. She got so mad at this kid that she said, "I'm I, Abraham. I'm so done. I'm paraphrasing. I'm so done with that kid and his mom. And it's time for you to do something, Abraham. And every." Every husband's been at the end of that conversation. You gotta do something. I feel for Abraham. I really do. The Bible says that it distressed him greatly. You know, Ishmael was not not the promised one. Ishmael was the product of Sarah and Abraham's impatience. And you know what? They've been redeemed. They have been forgiven, just like we are of our sins. But you know what? There are times still that we still live with the ramifications and the consequences of our behavior and when we step outside of God's plan. That's exactly what's happening with Abraham and Sarah. Abraham is distressed by this. The Bible tells us that Abraham cared for Ishmael very much. This is his son. And so now Abraham is dealing with all this family drama. This Isaac has brought laughter and joy and Ishmael now. is bringing nothing but pain and suffering and something has to be done. And he's just so distressed over this. If you look at verse 12, here's where the solution came. But God said to him, do not be so distressed about the boy and your slave woman. Listen to whatever Sarah tells you because it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. I will make the son of the slave into a nation also because he is your offspring. So that's exactly what Abraham does. He sends them away. You know that had to be traumatic for him. He was greatly distressed, but out of obedience to God and peace in his home, he sends them away. And the Bible tells us that God takes care of Hagar and Ishmael. God takes care of them and and, um, they essentially, drop off the map of the story after this. We don't hear from them anymore, except 72 years into the future, Ishmael will show up for his father's funeral. Outside of that, we don't really hear from them again. However, I will say this, the ramifications, the, the, um, the, the, the progress through time, if you will, of what Sarah and Abraham did has had implications on this world every single day. I'll tell you how. Genesis chapter 16, verse 12, we learn this about Ishmael's future. It says this, he will be a wild donkey of a man. What an incredible description of somebody. Tell me about your kid. He's a wild donkey of a kid, let me tell you. I, this is Ishmael's description of what his life will be like. Wild donkey. And his hand will be against everyone and everyone's hand against him and he will live in hostility to all of his brothers. So in other words, the prediction, if you will, over Ishmael's life is that it's gonna be one of non-peace, violence, anger, hostility. It's not gonna be a peaceful life. Now, God indeed fulfilled his promise. He made a nation, a mighty nation out of Ishmael's life. So Ishmael is now the father of what we know today as the Arab nation. Now, now think about it like this. I'll probably be very simplistic with you in the language. Ishmael is the father of the Arab nation. Abraham and Isaac are the father of the Jewish nation and consequently, the Christian nation as well. And here we are now, some 4,000 years later, and you turn on the news and, and you open your news app and, and what do you read? You, you read about this tension between who? Iran and Israel. What are we seeing Now, many would draw this conclusion. What we are seeing between Iran and Israel is nothing more than Ishmael not getting along with his brother, Isaac. The Muslim nation today traces their heritage all the way back to Ishmael. And the Jewish nation traces their heritage all the way back to Isaac. And we still have, it seems like, the fulfillment of Genesis 6, 12, non-peace, hostility between the brothers. Well, Abraham didn't want to send them down the road. He distressed over it, but he ultimately relented to God's command. Little did he realize at that moment that his obedience in sending his son Ishmael away was preparation for a much larger test with his son Isaac. What happens next in scripture is probably outside of God giving up his son Jesus on the cross, what happens next is probably the toughest test that anybody in scripture went through. Um, God commands Abraham to sacrifice Isaac. That's right, God tells Abraham, I want you to take the life of your son. This remarkable account of events in the next chapter, chapter 22, I'm telling you, they communicate to us so many deeply rooted things in the scripture that I was telling the staff last night, I said, you know, I really need four weeks to unpack this singular chapter of the Bible. I'm not gonna take four weeks. I'm gonna take about the next 12 to 40 minutes, (laughs) somewhere in there, to do it. I feel like what we're gonna do here today is, is we're gonna do like a touch and go in an airplane. We're gonna come in and we're gonna touch the, 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 the tarmac and we're gonna take off again. We're gonna do touch and go. There's so much left here and um, I'm gonna try to bring out some things, but I'm gonna share what I believe God wants us to focus in on this part, but, but there's more. There's gonna be a lot of meat left on this bone, I'm just telling you, before we're done here today. Look at chapter 22, verse one. Here's how it goes down. Sometime later, we have no idea how long that is, by the way, so he sends Ishmael away, and sometime later, this test is gonna happen. You know, by best of our estimates, uh, here's how people think about it. Um, It's probably not any sooner than Isaac's 12th birthday, and it's probably, you know, not after his 40th birthday. So sometime later is sometime between Isaac's 12th and 40th birthday, we're not really sure. Even in scripture, somebody could be called a young boy or a young person, even all the way up to forty, you know, if they're not married. So we're not sure. So all we can say sometime later, Abraham, God tested him and he said, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Then God said, Take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac. Go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain. I will show you. And I take a step back and go, wow, holy cow. What in the world's happening here? If you're reading this for the first time, you might be going, whoa, what's going on? What do you think is going on through, what do you think was going on in Abraham's mind when he says this? I don't know. I'm not even sure what would be going through my mind if God said this to me. I, I think I'd probably say, uh, what? Come again? Did I hear you right, Lord? The promised son, who we waited for for twenty-five years, who has been laughter and joy in my home, and now who you're going to build the whole future on his shoulders, and you want me to do what? I think that's maybe what would be going through my mind. Here's what happens next. Verse three. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and loaded his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. And when he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. He said to his servants, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and then we will come back to you. I can tell you, if this were me, I'd be a mess right now. They travel for three days. So Abraham is carrying this burden for three days. I will tell you that this feels very much like the Abraham that we first met in Genesis 12. God called out to Abraham and he said, get up from your home country and go to a place I will show you. And Abraham got up and left. Here he is again, this stage in life. Abraham, here I am. Take your son, your one and only son. Go to where I tell you to do and sacrifice him. And he goes. The very next day. Very next day. And this feels very much like the Abraham we first met way back in, 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 in the beginning. And I look at this and I go, there's something about Abraham that seems to me anyway, like there's a lot of confidence in him, maybe. He just gets up and he goes, he just with, with confidence. And the reason why I say confidence is involved in this is because of verse five. What does he say to his servants? He says, we will worship and then we will come back to you. He knows in his mind what God's told him to do. The we is going up there to sacrifice Isaac, which would mean only one would be coming back down. But there's, there's some level of confidence here that we're gonna unpack in, in just a moment. But there's always some, there's more truth here too. I'm gonna tell you this, as a Christ follower, you will face tests, you will face trials in your life. And if I passed a microphone around the room, I guarantee we could be here for a long time where you share, all of you individually, this is what God saw me through, this is a trial that I went through, this is what I'm enduring right now. The fact that you're a Christian guarantees that you will have trouble in this world. And, 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 and Abraham seems like there's some confidence as he approaches this trial. That God's putting him through. There's, there's more about that. We'll come back in just a minute. But here's how the rest of the story unfolds. Look at verse six. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac. Now, so this tells us a little detail. Isaac's at least old enough to carry some wood. All right. So he's not a toddler. He's out of diapers for sure. He's old enough to carry the wood for the sacrifice. And Then he himself, Abraham, carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father, Abraham, Father, yes, my son, Abraham replied. The fire and the wood are here, Isaac said, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? That is a very good question. Isaac is very astute. We're missing something. Where is it? And Abraham answered, verse 8, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. When they reached the place that God told them about, Abraham built an altar and there, and arranged the wood on it. And here's where it gets really fascinating. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. You're like, now wait a minute. Did Isaac just willingly let him do this? I mean, I mean let, let's think about this for a minute. Uh, Isaac, let's assume he's a teenager. Let's say, assume he's 20 years of age. Abraham would be 120. You're telling me that Isaac couldn't whoop his dad? His dad's 120. What, what did Abraham do? Come up behind him and go right on the back of the head, knock him unconscious, and he wakes up all tied to the altar? Ah, I don't it doesn't seem that way. This is where a lot of people will say, Isaac brought as much faith into this moment as Abraham did. There, there is something here that people draw, their details are limited, but they often will draw this conclusion. Isaac must have also had faith and believed his dad and believed that God was up to something and it makes you wonder, all right, dad, if you say with confidence that God's gonna see us through this, tie me up. We don't know, we don't know. All we have is this one detail, Abraham tied his son to the altar, but many would argue, Isaac had as much faith as his dad in this moment. Then it gets really dramatic. Then verse 10, he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. What this would mean is that Abraham had the knife to his son's neck and it's, it's go time. Verse 11. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Abraham looked up and there in the thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called that place, the Lord will provide. And to this day, it is said on the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. The question comes up, would Abraham have gone through with it? My guess is this, yes, I think he would have. And I say that because what did the angel say? You have not withheld from me your one and only son. That says to me, he was going to do it. And also, when you move into the New Testament, in Hebrews chapter 11, you'll find this amazing chapter there that's often referred to as the Hall of Fame of Faith. So basically, all of these very faithful people in the Old Testament are listed and what they did in that singular chapter. Abraham's listed there. And listen to what it says about Abraham about this very moment in his faith. Hebrews eleven seventeen: By faith, Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice, he who had embraced the promise. That's huge, Abraham embraced everything that God said. I will make a mighty nation out of you through your son Isaac and all nations on earth will be be blessed. And Abraham fully embraced what God promised and that's what took him to that moment. He never doubted God's promise. So he embraced it and was about to sacrifice his one and only son even though God had said to him, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. Abraham reasoned that God could even raise the dead. So in a manner of speaking, he did receive Isaac back from the dead. In other words, his mindset at the moment was, I will go through with this because I believe what God's doing, he can even raise the dead if he can bring Isaac back to me. And, and, and that's why I say with confidence, he would have done it. Absolutely would have done it. Nothing yet in scripture up to that moment talks about anybody coming back to life. Resurrection. Um, God bringing anyone back from the grave. That, none of that kind of language has come up. So where did Abraham come up with this? Somewhere in his confidence, he knew God would come through. And then God did come through, didn't he? He looked up and he saw a ram. And God provided a substitute sacrifice for, for Isaac. And, and Abraham did that. So indeed, we went up. And we came down on the mountain that the Lord will provide. You know, some of you might be going, what does this have to do with me? This is old news. This this is this is our heritage, of course, but I'll tell you what it has to do with us. And like I said, I I need four weeks to unpack this, so but I won't. I'll tell you it applies to each of us because every single one of us in this room is gonna face a test. We're all gonna be tested. You're Christian, you're gonna be tested. You're gonna be tested or, or you're gonna go through a hard time. And how do you respond to that? There's something about the way Abraham is in this moment in scripture that has something for us today. And I wanna want share it with you, the first one is this. I think as a follower of Jesus, we should absolutely live every day of our life expecting tests to come. We should expect tests. We shouldn't be surprised by them. You know, um, one thing I hated in school was pop quizzes. Remember those? Hated pop quizzes. You go when it's a normal day, you know, you think, okay, I'm just do this. You sit down, your teacher walks in, pop quiz, everybody, take out a pen and paper. You're like, oh man. But you know, if you're a serious student and you'd been studying, doing all your homework, keeping the assignments, paying attention to the class, pop quizzes were really no big deal, were they? Why? Because you were prepared. They they weren't really you were ready for that pop quiz. Life has a way of dropping pop quizzes on us and everybody says, amen, been there. Don't be surprised by them, expect them. I can tell you, if we're in God's word, we pray, we have great fellowship with other believers and we're walking daily with the Lord, these pop quizzes, these tests that come into our lives, you're prepared for them. Expect them. First Peter tells us that, first Peter chapter one, verse six, he's talking about, hardships and trials that the church endures. He says, in all of this you greatly rejoice. Now for a little while you may have suffered grief and all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. So it's pretty, pretty uh, obvious in scripture. As a Christ follower, you will have hard times and difficulties. This is no doubt a trial. Some of you are like, I'm in the trial of my life right now. Shouldn't surprise you. This is, the Bible tells us it's gonna happen, but God is gonna absolutely use that, whatever you're going through, for his purposes. Peter said to bring glory and honor to him. The, elsewhere in the Bible talks about things that God uses in these hard times to refine and purify us. And I'll tell you, speaking of trials and hard times, we need to be praying for our brothers and sisters in Canada right now. Have you been paying attention a little bit? I just became aware of this the other day. I'm, I'm not even gonna be able to talk about it intelligently because I, I just know the, the parameters of it. But the, the, the government in Canada just passed a law that any counselor, and the, the language is broad, it could, it could fall out of the counseling environment, but anybody who is in a place of authority that, that is instructing somebody else that heterosexuality is the preferred lifestyle, you can be arrested and go to prison for five years. Did you know that? Canada, five years. So what that means is like preachers who open their Bibles and say, marriage is between a man and a woman for life Sexual activity is to be for inside the bonds of marriage because God made them in the beginning, male and female, and decided ahead of time, this is how new life should come into the world and this committed, monogamous, heterosexual marriage. You know, if we preach that message in Canada, you could go to prison for five years. We need to pray for brothers and sisters in Canada. They're about to come under severe trial and, and, and I believe that God is gonna do something very special if they stay faithful. I like the way one preacher puts it. He says, Satan tempts us to bring out the worst in us, but God tests us to help bring out the best. And I believe this is bringing out Abraham's best, and I believe whatever you're going through can bring out your best as well. Expect test. don't let surprise you. Here's the second thing I see out of Abraham, I think it overlays to us as well, that when we are experiencing stuff, we need to focus on God's promises, not explanations. I tell you, whenever you enter into a rough season of life, there's two questions that just naturally roll off our tongues, isn't it? It's like, the first question is, why, Lord? We've all been there. And the second question is, why me? Why, Lord, why me? I need somebody to spell this out for me. But here's what the Bible teaches about these hard times and trials and tests. You know, we just saw in 1 Peter that, uh, that a, these hard things can have a purification, if you will, of your faith and bring glory to God. The book of James tells us that hard times and trials can really benefit our character and our maturity in the Lord. Even in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, we learn that, uh, that uh, sometimes hard times can protect us from harder times and, and sins God's always gonna use these for things. And I'll tell you, whatever you're going through right now, maybe you've been looking for explanations when really you need to be clinging to God's, God's promises. God's promises. Abraham, what, he clinged to God's promise, that God's gonna do something special here. I believe in that. My faith will not waver in what God is gonna do through Isaac, so let's just go and God will show me along the way. What are some promises that you and I should cling to today? One of the big granddaddy promises of them all in the Bible is what? God promises to never leave us nor forsake us. And some of you right now, that may be all you got right now. God, you promise not to ever walk away from me and I'm gonna hold true to that. What's another promise? God, God promises to take care of our needs. I say it like this. God knows your name. He knows your address. He knows where you live. He knows what you're going through better than anybody else. God knows what you need. And he says, you know, look, Look at the birds in the air. Look at the fields. They don't reap or sow. Aren't you more valuable than birds? I'm telling you, friends, you are more valuable than birds. And God takes care of them. And God will take care of you. What are are some other promises? Jesus promises what? In this world, you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. Lord, I'm gonna take hold of that promise. You have not forgotten me. You will provide for me you still overcome the world, we still win in the end. I don't need to have everything spelled out for me today. I got your promises and that's enough. So expect tests, focus on God's promise. Here's the third one, depend on God to provide. Depend upon God to provide. What did Abraham say in verse eight? God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering. He climbs the mountain, Isaac's like, where's the sacrifice? God will provide. And I'm here to tell you today, God will provide for you as well. This is not one of those situations where where Abraham was relying on his feelings. Because if he was relying on his feelings, imagine what he was feeling for these last few days, that he was going to have to sacrifice his son. He did not rely on the feelings in that exact moment. He relied upon God to provide. This is not one of those situations where he could really rely on anyone else either. Sarah was back home, his two servants were at the bottom of the mountain, and it was just Abraham and God, and I'll tell you this, I am so thankful for the Friendships that God has brought into our lives over the years, and uh, they make life so much more joyful. But there are times, friends, when you just have to go it alone with you and God. This is between me and God, and we gotta work this out, and I gotta trust him and him alone. I see that in Abraham here, depend on God. And, and it was through that that Abraham would learn a new name for God that day, Jehovah-Jireh, which means God will provide. He learned that about his Lord that day. God will provide. So expect these tests. Focus on the promises, not necessarily the explanations of everything. Trust God to provide. He is your Jehovah Jireh too. And finally, look forward to what God has in store for you. That's one of the hardest things when life is hard. It's the what's going to become of this when this is over stuff. Hebrews 12, 11 says this, no discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. 1 Peter 5, 10, and the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ after you have suffered a little while will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. I'll tell you, friends, unwavering faith always overcomes life's trials. Unwavering faith always overcomes life's trials. Here's how this ends. Ready? Look at verse 15. The angel of the Lord called to Abraham from heaven a second time and said, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sands on the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of of the cities of their enemies, and through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. Unwavering faith always overcomes life's trials. Now, I said a minute ago, I needed about four weeks to unpack everything. And I'm leaving a lot of meat on the bone. Here's some of that meat I wanna tell you about. It is impossible to read what's happening with Abraham and Isaac and not draw a parallel or a similar line of thinking with what is happening with God and his son, Jesus Christ. Three days of agony as they made their journey to the place of sacrifice and God stopped Abraham and he provided a substitute sacrifice. God would provide a substitute sacrifice for each and every one of us. We deserved death. But God came and said, I will take what you deserve upon me. Truly, Jehovah Jireh, the Lord will provide. Now, friends, there's a lot there to unpack, and that would be another couple sermons, but I trust you'll dig into it yourself. But let me tell you, there is so much parallelism between Abraham and Isaac and God and Jesus on this mountain. But let me just leave you with this. Jehovah Jireh, the Lord will provide for you too. And I know some of you are going through it right now. Look to Abraham. Look at that example. What did God do? He will do for you as well. Jehovah Jireh, the Lord will provide. Bank that promise. He will. Dear Lord, I just give you praise today. As always, thankful for your word. Lord, I pray that you help us as we endure tests, trials, hard things. Lord, may we look to you, not in shock that this is happening, but look to you and your promises and your, our provider. Lord, you are Jehovah Jireh. Lord, help us to look to you in that way with great confidence like Abraham, knowing, Lord, you'll come through for us. Lord, as we think about your promises, we think of what you did with your son, Jesus, how you loved the world so much that you sent your son to die on the cross for the sins of the world. We thank you, Lord, that we are on your mind. We thank you, Lord, that you did it for us. And we will forever, no matter what we endure in this life, we will always look to you and your saving work on the cross and the grace and forgiveness that you bring into our lives. And Lord, we look forward to the eternal future when we'll be with you forever, when this race is over, when this race has been won here on earth, and we get to be with you forever. Lord, we praise you in advance for it. We look forward to it. In Jesus' name, amen.